0: Ooh, child, things Things are gonna gonna get get easier. easier. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cinema Faith Podcast for December 2022. I am your host, Jonathan Butcher, and I'm joined once again by Jolly Old Saint Nick himself, Tim
1: Nelson. Hey, Happy Holidays Merry Christmas! Happy holidays. How you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm I'm uh, having a nice old a, a, a good time here, man. Good time here.
0: We're right in the holiday season. Thanksgiving's over. Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. We all watched it, and now we got two weeks till Christmas.
1: I didn't watch it at all, Damn. Uh, we <laughs> talked about this. I'm sorry. This is a requirement. I, I, <laughs> I watched other things. Other things. Okay. Okay. I had a sick kid, and I watched all the Marvel movies I didn't want to watch. And, <laughs> guess, and some of them are better than I remember.
0: Yeah. No. The whatever phases lead up to Infinity War. Those are all solid movies. But then it's um it's been bad the Hulk? As of late. Yeah. Well, that's the only weak link in the chain, I would say. So
1: if you notice, Disney's like disowned the Hulk. Like you can't watch the Hulk on Disney. Mm. I can watch everything. It's like everything in there that's not the Hulk. No, no Ed Norton Hulk. Yeah, Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know what that's about. I don't think it's officially canon because he uh,
0: there was some, you know, tussles between him and the studio and they just kind of disowned him. Wow. Wow. So how are things in the Christmas season at the Nelson household, Tim? How are you guys holding up?
1: Uh, it's pretty much the same. We've got some uh, advent candles, advent calendars, a Christmas tree, some music going in the background. It's pretty much the same. We're just, you know, typical stuff.
0: Beautiful. What kind of advent calendar do you do? Is it like the candy behind the doors or what's
1: your deal? It's candy behind the doors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then everyone gets a, a chance. So the kids, all three of the kids, they rotate. Yeah. Perfect. That's nice.
0: We've been enjoying it, too. We have an advent calendar. It's actually a Nintendo advent calendar that my what? grandma or well, their grandma got for them. And yeah, so each behind the door instead of candy, it's like a, a Mario or a Luigi or, you know, something Nintendo ish,
1: something Nintendo ish. So is it a uh, picture of that thing or is no, it No, it's thing? an
0: actual plastic what? like uh, action figure? It's a fully three dimensional detailed
1: Painted thing, it's pretty cool, man. Actually, Sue, so that's a nice gift, man. I don't yeah. know. I was, I feel now, I feel like I cheaped out. No, no, your mom put me to shame here. This is yeah, my fantastic. mom did great. She did a good job. <laughs> and we bought a house. <laughs> I don't know did if I you even told you. Did you buy your house?
0: We bought our house. This is the house we've been renting for ten years, and our landlords were like, "We got, we want to sell, and we'll give you first dibs." And then you know, we got to buy a house at the absolute worst time uh, in the last decade to buy a house with interest. Awesome. Rates off the chain it's fantastic you love
1: your house are you gonna rent it to somebody
0: yeah someday spring summer we'll probably get a tenant downstairs it's a little upper lower situation, so that'll be nice but um... hopefully they'll
1: cook a lot of stinky food and you can smell it all <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> they can cook the stinky food we'll put up with that and they'll put up with us above them like running around you can hear everything down there it's terrible uh, don't tell them before they move in
1: but you are no, stealing their heat so you should tell them something <laughs> Yeah,
0: but it's been good. Like, but having a house is nice. We we actually put Christmas lights outside for the first time in my entire life. Like I, for whatever reason, we never did it growing up. So we actually have a lit house this year. Oh, so nice. you got to
1: take a picture for me. I want to see it. I will. I will.
0: So yes, everything is extra Christmas me with our house this year. So that's
1: nice. <laughs> how cool now,
0: man. Full disclosure, up front this time, this podcast will actually not be coming out before Christmas, just like Thanksgiving, because that's just how we roll here in the old uh, Cinema Faith
1: headquarters. Can't well, get it out in time. But let's talk about this. How many? I don't think listeners understand what kind of time you put in for them. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's What's, true. What kind of editing time do you put in for these things?
0: I mean, it's a lot. I, I would say it's about two hours a night for two to three weeks for editing.
1: It's significant. I didn't yeah. know for a long time how much work you had gone into it. So I think it's good for the listeners to know that you're doing that and you are um, you get paid the same per hour for every hour that you do it, right? Yeah, which is nothing. Right, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. right. This is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're
0: all okay. pro bono around here at Cinema Faith, including our uh, friend and designer of the website, Dan Baker.
1: Who's that? <laughs> <laughs> you're supposed to join
0: in. Poor Dan. Yeah, so anyway, that is true. That is true. Is, the podcast especially, you graciously lend your time every month to us. But oh, I but love beyond, it. I'll do
1: it just because I love it, and I love like yeah, hanging with
0: you. Exactly, but beyond that, it is me solely doing the editing, and it is time-consuming, so that's why I can't usually get it out until the end of the month, but we love to do it. We're here because we love movies, and we love you, listeners. That's This is why we do it, so we're not complaining at all, but, well, we, there but it, is, it is good to know. Yeah, yeah.
1: There is the yeah. Frito-Lay uh, sponsorship we recently got, no, <laughs> where we are contractually <laughs> obligated to make mention Frito-Lay on everyone. We you
0: should know be what's Getting good, John? lots of sponsors. We name drop on this podcast all the time and we get chili no money cheese
1: for it. Chili Fritos, John, are really excellent and <laughs> uh, I like to have them just about every dinnertime meal. For a snack. They make a great breakfast cereal too. You put a little milk on those. Of course. So Chili Cheese Fritos. Chili Cheese Fritos. And who
0: doesn't love driving around in a Lexus too, you
1: know? Just I love Lexus. And you know It's a December to remember just very December and it's some of the best deals and some of the best interest rates that you can get right now yeah uh you know you want to bring something magical into someone's life john
0: i saw a meme that was like this is the time of the year where a spouse goes and buys an expensive car without telling their wife like a psychopath yeah
1: it's, like, <laughs> it's not a <laughs> that's, good move that's a you're a weird like <laughs> move I spent forty thousand dollars. We've got a two thousand dollar car payment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's great! So anyway, that is what. So that all of that to say, uh, we're going to talk about Christmas for a second, and uh, this will be about you know a week after Christmas. But anyway, chili cheese Fritos, chili chili cheese Fritos Fritos, and Lexus. All right, now. We have talked about Christmas movies and our favorite Christmas movies, Ad nauseum. I think we've done it two or three times. So you you just got to go back to some December podcasts. You'll you'll hear all of our Christmas movie action. I think both of us agree that It's a Wonderful Life is our favorite Christmas movie. Is that still true, Tim, for you?
1: Uh, I don't know if it's still true. I still love that movie. I don't know if it's still true. Was it true last year? Yeah, you said at one point it
0: was. That is definitely my all-time favorite, and I save it for Christmas Eve. It is the pinnacle of the Christmas movie-watching season. Do you have another favorite that is? has yeah. taken its place?
1: Well, I think this year I've been liking a lot of the Christmas Carol ones. Mm-hmm. Even though I know there's all kinds of problems with the Christmas Carol from like uh, socio political blah, 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 yeah. I really do like it.
0: You know, there's a great version of that called The Muppets. Christmas Carol, I've
1: heard that, um, um yeah, and I had uh, a choice of like about thirty of them, and uh, the Muppets <laughs> haven't made it. I tried I tried and you know, I have a daughter oh, no. that hates the Muppets. they tell you this does it creep her
0: out, or is it just like she just she doesn't... hates she
1: just says this, I talked to her she's nine I'm uh-huh. like, hey, let's watch this, and you know I like I don't mind the Muppets I like them, I love the Muppets yeah. show that's that's a little racy, but the uh Muppets I like, and my daughter I say, hey, let's watch this Muppet show and she immediately responds i hate muppets wow i hate muppets okay yeah. okay i'm like i don't know what they did to her but apparently she didn't like the muppets <laughs> hey you
0: know it's, I don't know it's all right i don't know well what is your favorite version of a christmas carol that you've seen then what is the one the that 1951
1: holds the... i want to think that's i think that's george C. So, george scott maybe i don't mm-hmm. remember it's but it, the 1951 black and white one i think is pretty good Gotcha. There's a lot of them out
0: there. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of versions. I know, I know.
0: It's a classic tale. It just always works. It's kind of like uh, those Groundhog Day movies, you know? We're going to keep repeating the same. That Just concept just mm-hmm. is always intriguing, and the Scrooge tale always works too. Now, here's my question for you this year to change things up a little bit. Is All there right. a Christmas movie that you think is overrated, that everyone loves and you're just like, I don't really dig it?
1: what's that one where um jamie lee curtis and tim allen i think stay home for christmas oh they're trying to go on a vacation to the bahamas and they stay home or something christmas of the cranks or something
0: oh oh yeah yeah that that rings a bell there's
1: a lot of people that like that movie really? okay and okay I, I just don't like it at all
0: <laughs> yeah i don't know if i've ever seen it but i probably wouldn't like it either yeah i didn't know if that was a really popular one but i mean there you go if you know people who watch that that counts
1: Yeah. Maybe there's another one that's more popular that I don't like. Do you know what mine is?
0: I do not like a Christmas story. I just don't like that So does my wife. My wife feels the same way. I don't know what it is. I have tried a couple times. Now, granted, it was a while ago, but like, I mean, come on. I'm not just going to keep trying. I didn't have to watch Home Alone like three times to like it. It's just I knew instantly this is a great movie. I want to watch it every Christmas. Like, I've tried with A Christmas Story. I just don't think it's a good movie. I don't understand it. So your wife agrees with me. I'm so glad. Summer, thank you. Thank you. Come on. Do you like it personally?
1: Are you a Christmas story defender? I like it. Here's why. It was a sleeper. When it came out, nobody watched it. And Mm. then people discovered it as they got VCRs. At every video store, there was like one copy of this thing. And so like people, you'd have to watch it off season because if it was Christmas time, you would never be able to find it, right? Anyway, it was a sleeper. Ended up, I guess Turner bought the rights to it or whatever, and he would show it for 24 hours on TBS or oh, TNT yeah. or something. I can't remember. One of the T, those things. And I think that's when it got really overdone, where people are like, oh, gosh, do we have to watch this like again? It was on TV like for a week during Christmas time. And I think people got burned out on it, and they were tired of it. It was fun when it was like this little... Best gem that yeah. nobody knew about, but it really kind of blew up like 10 years after it came out. And I also think the other key to it is like that it's generational too so like that kind of World War II era those it's in the 40s right mm-hmm. so it's like just after World War II I think that's a particular era and I don't know if we, you and I will, will probably connect to it
0: yeah that must be what it is It just like viscerally I, I just didn't connect to what was going on but hey you know what I'm sure there's some people out there that love 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 that movie and want to write in and tell me why I'm wrong so please feel free to do so we love hate mail around here at cinema faith we even like hate comments someone left a scathing criticism of my apocalypse now review you can go check that out i i didn't delete the comment i didn't delete it let the man speak i say you know me preaching the nonviolence and stuff and this guy was like basically like you know must be nice to have that freedom to say all that garbage you twerp something like that yeah. you twerp <laughs> <laughs> it's great hey i'm i'm in here for it i you know? love it man we, you're like yeah. so
1: bu- you're not you're like so open to the critique i think it's, we are uh, i mean we got we say things that are so great sometimes
0: especially on this <laughs> podcast because it's so random it's like the stuff that comes out of your mouth half the times i don't we're even not,
1: know we're not yeah, I mean, yeah you're not uh you know We'll say some things that are not accurate once exactly. in a while. Mostly me. Sometimes not offensive. So you. Sometimes, Sometimes you'll change. Sometimes, and then we'll go, "Oh, sorry." We're more like your family than we are like, you know, Paula Kale. And we're alive, so that's helpful. But like, we're not critics. We're people that are like, we're regular folks that want to hear, uh, that want to, you know, think through the movies, talk about them. We're not. That's we're right. not here to like be Peter Travers or you know any of yeah. that stuff.
0: Yep. So feel free to write us in with your thoughts on A Christmas Story or all uh, Christmas movies and enjoy your Christmas movie watching, even though you're listening to this on December
1: 30th. All you can right. still watch those movies all year long. <laughs> <laughs> you go ahead.
0: Yes. So... We have done our obligatory Christmas banter on our December podcast, and now it's time for our obligatory Oscar movie on our December (laughs) podcast, because we have another Oscar darling for you, ladies and gentlemen. And of course, the Oscar nominations haven't been announced yet. I think they're announced in like January, but this one that we're going to be talking about today is sure to receive some nominations. It's already received quite a few Golden Globe nominations, Sure, the precursor. You're like,
1: you're calling this? I'm calling it. You're pointing to the outfield, and you're saying home run? 100%. 100%. You, I, I'm, I'm
0: wow. not saying I'm not making any winning predictions. I am saying I believe this movie will be nominated in the majority of the major categories. It's just, it's a gift to the Academy. This is the kind of movie that they love. They, they, it's an Oscar darling. All right. So, yeah, what we are talking about today is called The Fablemans, and it is directed by none other than Mr. Steven Spielberg. And that is what we are here to talk about today, which is super exciting. So,
1: Tim, did you see the. F- Fableman's at your new favorite movie theater that you talked about no, last time. Oh, because I oh, no. couldn't, I, I ended up not being able to, so I bought it. Oh, that costs mm. a lot of money.
0: Did you really get, like, on Amazon, you did the, the first look thing?
1: Yeah, I, I paid 25 bucks for it. Yeah. <laughs> but I did the math, right? So at first I was like, oh, 25 bucks, because it wasn't showing anywhere where I could see it at that time. And then the closest theater that it was showing, strangely enough, at a time that I could go to it, was, I think the round trip was like 40 miles or something or 45 miles. And so I was like, forget it. I'll just lower my carbon footprint and pay a little more money. This is my whole point. No,
0: I love that that option exists. Like, of course, we're big believers in the movie theater. We encourage yeah. everyone to get out and see movies in the theater. But if you can't, for whatever reason, the math really does work. Like, I paid about $14 for my movie ticket. You throw in popcorn, you throw in gas, you're paying $20, $25. Oh, yeah. So if you got to stay at home, stay at home. You're not, it's fine. So I'm glad you could it's do It's not
1: ideal. Like, I tried to go to the theater first. Yeah. And then I said, oh, man, this is going to be tough. I don't know how I'm going to be able to pick my kids up. Yeah, because, I mean, basically, if you have school-aged kids, and then my wife had a lot of nights out for work, it became this situation where I just couldn't go.
0: Well, at least one of us did go to the theater, so we're representing. I was able to go to my favorite movie Ah. theater, which was The Majestic in Brookfield. You ever make it out there when you lived in Milwaukee? It's a beautiful theater. Yeah, of course. I think I've been there with
1: you. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, your yeah. favorite theater in all the
0: land. It's my favorite theater because it's a classy joint. They got a piano that plays music and the thing, and they got the recliner seats, the whole drill. So, yeah, it was nice. A man. piano? It was, yeah, it's like a player piano. It plays by itself, but it counts.
1: So have you ever been to a theater that had an organ? No. I have, have twice. Oh, really?
0: Ooh, yes, I like it. there's
1: one in Birmingham that I saw charlie and the chocolate factory the old one and they had before the showing it was a matinee they had an organ up front so they're like you know playing organ tunes that's so cool And it was like an old school like movie organ that came out of the floor it was like And then somebody would play for like 20 minutes instead of previews.
0: That's what movie theaters need to do more of. They need to like make it an experience so that people will, you know, because streaming, like we always talk about the the windows getting condensed. People are more and more going to be paying that twenty twenty five dollars. But if there's something extra you can get at the theater, like in Oregon, yeah. that I think is going to draw them in. And that's actually what our movie is about today. It's about the power of the movies, movie experience, and how that intersects with life. And it's based on Steven Spielberg's real-life story growing up as a kid. It's a window into his life, how he became the filmmaker he is today. And now, for a little more detail, we turn it over to the king of the plot synopsis, Tim Nelson. Go ahead, Tim. How, what, what is the fablemans for the uninitiated who have never heard of this film? You're getting so good at this. It's a portrait of an artist as a young man. Mm. There you go. Done. That's really all you got to say, right? Yeah, it's
1: Spielberg's journey, very thinly veiled.
0: It is. It's it, And it's totally Spielberg's journey. And actually, like the thing about it is that they use the term like, semi-autobiographical, which makes you believe that it's mostly fictional, but there's some loose elements from Spielberg's life. But I read an interview, this really is Spielberg's life. The only reason he didn't say based on a true story was he Quote, didn't want to appear narcissistic, you know, basically making a movie about himself. But everything that happens in this movie, all the big events, actually. Happened to him. He really did see The Greatest Show on Earth. This was his first movie as a kid. His mom was a pianist. His dad was a scientist. Everything that happened between them actually happened. He was bullied with anti Semitism in high school. All of it is all actually like happened. So they try to thinly veil it as some sort of fictional thing, but this really is Spielberg making a movie about his life growing up and becoming the filmmaker he is today. So I think that's pretty cool. And it kind of adds a whole layer when you know that. Yeah. And even that big scene at the end, you know, with the famous film director, Spielberg says that that was word for word how that meeting went. Like exactly what happened when he was 15. And he That met.
1: squares with, with what I understand about John Ford. John yeah. Ford. Played by David Lynch. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's cool. Yeah.
0: I know, because I saw his name in the credits, and I was like, oh, of course that's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. So we're going to talk about Spielberg, and we're going to get to him in just a moment. But before we do, I want to dive into some of the acting, because there's some truly great acting in this movie, and Michelle Williams is where we should probably start. Do you like Michelle Williams? I've always liked her as an actress. So help me. She's the mom, right? Yeah, Mitzi. uh, She is Sammy's mom. We should probably. We didn't really give like our usual detailed plot synopsis, which is fine, but like just so that we can get some of the names going here. So Spielberg is not actually like. Uh, he bit, so this is like his life in on screen, but they changed the name. So this is about the Fablemans, and and Spielberg's uh, name in the film is actually Sammy. So it's Sammy Fableman is him basically growing up, and his mom's name is Mitzi, and uh, you know he has three sisters in the in the film, and he you know sees for the first time he sees the uh goes to the movie theater and sees uh, the greatest show on earth and is just transfixed by what he sees and this especially the train scene that like crashes and he replicates it and he gets a hold of his dad's super 8 camera and he starts Uh, entering in on that journey and he falls in love with movies and kind of uh, starts with home movies and then graduates to making movies with his friends and then becomes, you know, what we know of him today. So that's kind of the synopsis. I wanted to give that. But it is Sammy is Spielberg and uh, his mom's name is Mitzi. So that is
1: Michelle Williams. And so what do you think about her? In this film, she was definitely like a tortured person. Yes. By herself, by her situation, by probably some mental health stuff going on, mm-hmm. but she seemed to be like a person who was deeply unhappy all the time. Mm-hmm.
0: Very conflicted, right? It's like she's strong, but stuck. She's funny and carefree, but like haunted and sad. Like there's just this duality that's like yeah. with her every step of the way. Yeah.
1: She functions also like a muse almost for for Spielberg, but for for all the men in the film. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah.
0: She's kind of like the the center of what everything is orbiting around. All these men in, in, right. in the, yeah.
1: And and as she tries to like all of her it's very much a film about the mother, not about anything. I mean it really to me it's more a film about his mother. Mm-hmm tell me about your mother. <laughs> yeah. And it's, <laughs> you
0: know? and it's very clear that his mom was instrumental in every step of his journey to becoming a filmmaker and the movie you know is proof of that.
1: Yeah. And then looking at the ideas that the art form became a way to deal with anxiety, but it also produces anxiety and that anxiety is what drove him into film because he could control a small world. I thought that was cool. But anyway, we're getting into themes, but I thought she was great, like I felt a lot of discord every time I even looked at her in the film. So mm-hmm. she was accomplishing what she attempted to do. Where she looked deeply unhappy all the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But
1: she yeah, and she's a great actress.
0: She you know, she was in the station agent. Were you talking about the station agent like
1: two podcasts ago? It's possible. She it was. was in there. I don't remember.
0: Okay, And she was in Brokeback Mountain and she, my favorite role of hers was Blue Valentine with Ryan Gosling where they play these two like tortured lovers over the years. And that's a fantastic film by one of my favorite directors, Derek France, who did uh, Place Beyond the Pines. But so she's been in a lot of great stuff and she's a four time Oscar nominee, man. She's made a ton of movies and I haven't seen probably half of them, but like, yeah, so she's nominated four times for Oscars, Brokeback Mountain, Blue Valentine, Manchester by the Sea. Forgot about that one. Oh, who is she in that? I don't remember. Is she the um, spouse? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's uh, Casey Affleck's like estranged spouse. Wow. Okay. Yep. And then um, there was a movie called My Week with Marilyn, which I never saw for some reason, but I'm, clearly it's about Marilyn Monroe. But she was nominated uh, for, four times for those. And I believe, I'm going to call make another prediction, that she will be nominated again for this one. That would make five.
1: Five Oscar nominations. She might win
0: for this one, man. She's yeah. good. Yeah, she was really good in this. And like you said, she just plays the part perfectly, this really tortured, conflicted mother and Yeah, that, that basically everyone revolves around because you have Sammy who worships his mom, but, you know, part of the problem is that they, uh, you know forget spoilers I don't even care anymore Dan's like you guys just spoil everything and it doesn't matter and I'm like you're right I don't want to do any more spoilers people know when they come to this podcast if you haven't seen the movie and we do an hour breakdown of the movie you must not care that much about spoilers for crying out loud
1: right go I mean, see the movie go see the dang movie pay $25 go see the movie jackass <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go don't anyway you, we're,
1: not, we're not a substitute for the movie go see it
0: <laughs> <laughs> so we don't want,
1: you don't want to see us acting these things out John's been good actor i'm not you don't want this exactly so the big
0: the big thing is that you know sammy is is like has a really good relationship with his mom it's his mom that actually first has the idea to sort of recreate the greatest show on earth with this train set on film and and so he grows up you know making these movies with his sisters and his mom supports him and stuff and then the big churning point of the film is that you know, he takes a home video on a super eight of a camping trip and he's editing this camping footage together. And he sees like the film doesn't lie that his mom clearly has this inappropriate relationship with his, you know, quote unquote, uncle, not really his blood relative uncle, but Benny is his name. And there's clearly something going on between them. There's moments where they hold hands, they're very close. And he's just, he's shocked because he thought that his parents had this wonderful marriage and it's just his whole world is blown apart. And Hmm. so that's, that's the big turning point in the film. So, so yeah. So uh, when we say that all the men are orbiting around like that, tears apart, you know, Sammy's life. And then of course his dad eventually finds out and there's that whole thing. And, and, and so, yeah, but she does a great job. So good job, Michelle Williams.
1: I think she's good. So good because she gets us to have, we give her our empathy and then, but we also, like, I also, by the end of the movie, I'm like, oh, you're hard to deal with. I don't want to like, she, she kind of defies the categorization because I feel, oh, she has a hard life. Oh, she's creating hard lives for other people too. Right. Oh, uh, she doesn't get exactly what she wanted. Oh, but it must be hard to live with that guy. I mean, it was like, uh, so there's just the tension she played so well. And then where she kind of, def- like a real human being, she kind of defied categorization and she was like, no, she's a lot of things.
0: She mm-hmm. is selfish.
1: She is selfless. That's it. And, she, and, and he showed that well. I think we don't see a lot of that. We tend to see like caricatures of people, you know, because they are characters usually, right? Yeah. And the closer we get to a real person, it is powerful. Like I think of other, what, what was the one uh, Roma? We get to see like that yes. mom was very complicated too. Because you get the inside view and, and from the perspective of a child. You're absolutely
0: right. And our sympathies do go over like so we we empathize with her and we also are like, you're being kind of selfish, right? I think that's totally true. And gosh, that scene where Sammy shows his mom the camping footage, but it's basically like a supercut of just her <laughs> <for> and <laughs> Benny doing, you know, yeah. inappropriate things. I mean, that's devastating. And um yeah.
1: good stuff. So the camera becomes like some arbiter of truth rather than because it's hard for the kids and the dad and everyone and Benny and the mom, they all like, aren't sure what's true. But then the camera set tells you what is the camera doesn't lie. which I, which I think it tells everyone. So it tells him, it tells his dad makes him do it. So you got to do this. This is more important. And it was than what he wanted to do mm-hmm. so that everyone says the camera is true. And I think that's, that's part of the message of the film too, right? Which is you can, that there might be actually greater truths in an edited version of a film than there would be in real life. Like we can, summar, it can be summarized more. So for me, that's interesting that he, that's the, I mean, of course he's a filmmaker. He's going to think that. Yeah, But I thought that was cool.
0: Yep. And then there's Paul Dano, who is great in this. We've talked about him before. I think we talked about him on the Batman podcast and some of his works. But he's kind of playing this. He was
1: perfect in this. He was so
0: good. And he's playing like the straight man against Michelle Williams, right? Because she's really artistic, emotional, in touch with her emotions and stuff. And he's like an engineer. This is a dude who's like duty and logic. But there's also like a warmth about him that was really captivating, too. And... Yeah, I don't know. Like, I really liked him as a character. I felt like I related to him a little bit because, like, He's the kind of guy that's, you know, very locked into kind of one way of thinking about things and which I can be too, like a neogram alert. You know, I'm a six on the enneagram, So my beautiful gift is that I'm, I take in the world through thinking, but I'm also thinking repressed. And what that just means is that like, I, I fall into unproductive thinking habits. So like, for me, there's a lot of times where like, I th- I've, I'm, I think in black and white, like there's only, this is right or this is wrong, or there's only one way to do this. And it's the way I've always done it. And then someone comes along and they do it a completely different way. And I'm like, I literally never would have thought about that, and that's kind of how Sammy's father is because he's just convinced that you know you want a practical career and and that you know that will be what grounds you. And he doesn't quite understand Sammy's obsession with film, and he doesn't understand his wife and and some of the things that she does. But yet he's there, he's present, he's loyal, and and he's just a good guy. He was so good in this.
1: When he's at his wits' end, when he doesn't know how to keep his wife. He needs an artist and he knows his son is the artist and his artist and, and he goes to his son. He says, I need you to do this. This is important. Wow. Make this film. That's so, so it's good. like he's, yeah, he's like out of his, all the possibilities that he could possibly run. And he knows his wife is depressed and he's not sure what to do. And so she needs some kind of art. She needs art to make sense of something and he can't provide it. So he goes to the, to the son.
0: That's so beautiful. This. And he does. And he is kind of like, mm-hmm. he's sitting on that bed talking to Sam and he has what's in. And he's like, I need you to make this edited, you know, camping trip video for your mom because he doesn't know what else to do. He is, His powers are exhausted and he knows that art is the only thing that's going to do it.
1: That's so cool. Yeah. And he's into the tech. So, like, he will buy him and rent gear for him. Mm-hmm. And he likes all that. He likes, loves all that tech stuff, which is kind of like you could see, oh, this makes sense why he'd be nurtured in these two different ways.
0: It's the two kinds of sides of your brain that you need as a director, right? You need that tech side and then you need that artistic side coming
1: from his mom. And yeah. yeah. And, and then the funny thing is like, imagine like if the father, cause the father could have gotten, been real like, all right, you're going to be an engineer. And he, there was a little pressure there, but imagine, you know, his dad was like one of the, what is he making hard drive, like basically coming up with the idea for hard drives and stuff. (laughs) I mean, it's like amazing (laughs) right? file systems and like, just like a, you call them business machines, but really like helping develop computers. And so incredible technology breakthroughs that were happening at that time. So kind of a genius, I mean, a genius. Yeah. And his son, he allowed to be an artist to a certain degree. And he didn't... Even though he didn't understand it. He yeah. didn't understand it. So he's like, okay, we're going to... But he was nurturing in that sense where he was open. And I really liked him. Yeah, I, He was very likable. And for Paul Dano to play a character as likable, I think it takes a little work for him. <laughs> yeah, we're used to <laughs> like him being the scarecrow and just being a
0: psycho, right? Or not the scare,
1: whatever he was in that movie. He plays yeah. such a great, uh, yeah, psychopath <laughs> or sociopath, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, but to see him in a nurturing, I actually like that role for him because I think he's at the right age for it. Mm -hmm. And he played it well. He really played it well. So I do think the acting was. Probably the best thing in the film. Yeah. And then we got
0: some side characters. I mean, Seth Rogen is in this movie. You can finally check that one off your bingo card. Seth Rogen in a Steven <laughs> Spielberg movie. Bingo! Check. Yeah. It was nice seeing him play the straight man for once. Or like, just like a normal dude. But, like, he still had his laugh. You know, his trademark Seth Rogen laugh. He was still a bit of, like, a goofy sort of, like, uh, dude with a quirky sense of humor. Like, I totally bought his character. Like, it totally was like, yeah, that was Spielberg's, like, you know... Uncle Benny from the 50s. Like, that's exactly I feel like how he, he played him.
1: He just played himself. He just right? played himself.
0: But, like, a, a more toned-down version of, like... You know, you just... I don't know. Like, it worked. Like, it's just, like, Seth Rogen was perfect for this role. Because it's like, you can just picture sitting around the dinner table uh, in the 50s. And there's, you know, crazy Uncle Benny putting a spider under a plate. And with his, like, <laughs> laughing.
1: <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah, I mean... So he had it he had that element like I think that she wanted that her husband could never have. Right. Which would be he was emotionally connected and funny and he was decent to the point of realizing when he where he had to leave. Like he had he had to be done. But clearly, in lo- both, the- everyone was in love with the mom. Everyone and was in like love with the mom. Spielberg too, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> and that was what was so devastating uh, towards the end when Paul Dano gets that picture in the mail, and and he's just like frozen in place, and the picture is Benny and Mitzi just like goofing around at a mm-hmm. cookout or something, and, and and it's like in that moment he's like, "That's everything I don't know how to be," and that that's painful stuff, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think so. Yet at the same time, who, like they just had this conversation about supporting him, right? Who? Like, I'll support you. The dad's talking to the son saying, to, I'm to support Sammy. you. And, yeah. and Sammy's living with dad. I don't know if you picked up on that. In LA. And dad's not in this dream house anymore. Dad's in this crappy apartment now, right? Not too crappy, but crappy enough. And he's invited and he's like, yeah, you can live with me. Oh, you. well, you're going to do this film thing. So he's like, total acceptance, total love but he's also like supports the mom the best he can in the midst of all that. So he's, he bears a lot of suffering. He does.
0: That's such a good way to put it. Bears suffering. I think it's true. It's like, there's so many things he doesn't understand, but he's present and he's supportive and he's there every single day. He has an inkling that his wife is in love with another man, but he still shows up every single day and loves her. And she even says at one point, like, you know, I worship your father. Like he's the best man I know. And yet still it's not enough, which is very heartbreaking. And then Judd Hirsch, man, Judd Hirsch shows up for like Where frickin- that come from? <laughs> he shows up for like ten minutes and almost steals the whole movie. <laughs> He's good. He's, He's always good. been good. He's always good. And he just like has this amazing speech about art. He's like in Sammy's bedroom and he's just like, it's art and it's family and it'll tear you apart and you got to decide. And it's just like so good, man. Like that monologue is classic. That literally one scene might earn him a best supporting Oscar nomination, which is insane, but it might. He really
1: wasn't in the film very long, but he was really great. Yeah. He's a standout. Like you remember that scene. Exactly. Yeah. I feel like he's, but once again, it's got to be something he connects to because he's, how old is he? He's, just has got to be 80. Yeah. Yeah. It has to and be. And so he must've, I can't you imagine that he had those conversations? Cause he's a, I think he's a contemporary of Spielberg mm-hmm. from a standpoint of just age and been in the business. So he has to have understood those conversations where you have the uh, uncle who's a, probably a Holocaust survivor, whatever. Right. Yeah. But he having the Jewish uncle who comes in and says art is important and you're going to, it's going to tear your family up. Yeah. It just, he's a character. I mean, it just, yeah,
0: I, I, I really enjoyed him yeah and then finally you have all these actors well two i guess playing the younger version of spielberg or sammy as he's called in the film and i like both of them i thought the young kid the young boy towards the beginning was great played by mateo yeah. Zorian. he was nice and then you've got carrying the most of the weight is gabriel labelle who's been in nothing i looked at his filmography he's made he like, looks
1: just like freaking spielberg i know it's he's crazy. made like five
0: movies he's been in enough no, no one remembers any of the movies he's made no one's ever seen them and then he comes in he carries this movie basically for three-fourths of it on his shoulders. He looks like Spielberg. You can totally buy that that's Spielberg. And I, I totally, thought he did great.
1: He looks just like him. <laughs> I just can't even believe it. I'm like, yeah. well, I, that, I I just couldn't. I, I had no clue that you could find an actor that looks so close to uh, him. I mean, obviously, the makeup and everything. But what's funny to me is that guy's 20 years old.
0: Yeah. And when you look at him in interviews, you can see like, oh my gosh. But in the film, he, he looks right. Yeah. He it's looks like, Ra-
1: like Ralph Macchio, the karate adult.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's like an old, like, you know what I mean? It's like, a, it's a uh, an actor that looks like a little kid. Yeah. But it's the eyes. His eyes look like Spielberg. I just can't even, uh and part of it, the key is don't let him talk too much, which they didn't. They didn't, right? Kept him silent through a lot of scenes, which made it more believable. Yep.
0: Yeah, that point. Yeah, I think he did a great job, you know, because uh, you go to that whole portion of the film where he goes to school and he's bullied for being a Jew, and he's still trying to figure out his art, and he gives it up briefly for a while, and then he gets back in, and uh, and yeah, I I thought he was good. I like this this unknown kid. I thought he did a great job. Did you like him as an a- as an actor in this?
1: Yeah, I liked it. Yeah, I thought he was good. I thought the acting was good. I felt like that was difficult. So I felt like that was like a separate movie inside of this movie. Hmm.
0: Yeah, because it does detour away. Like we're on this track where it's like Spielberg becomes a filmmaker filmmaker and then for like at least 45 minutes almost it's like a totally different thing going
1: on right so there's this yeah there's like this film about his family falling apart and then there's this like cinema paradiso film going on like simultaneously where you're like kind of like this melancholy jokey fun film going on and then at the same time obviously there's anti-semitism that's not fun there's bullying that's not fun but uh, I think that's just, you got to have tension, right? Even if that occurred, you got to have tension for a story. So there's that story going on. And then at the same time, the parents, but it, I think that was like, kind of took my attention away a little bit hmm, okay. from the, the parent thing. Not that it would, it didn't represent reality. I'm sure it did, but I think it's hard to, it's hard to get refocused on that because I, yeah. cause I'm like, you know, I probably like an adolescent's real life, but I wanted to yeah, it, Stay it on the came unclear. Well. Is it the Are you fighting anti Semites uh, to just go to high school, <laughs> or are you, or is this the story about your parents and the uh, and your mom basically? And so I felt like there was. I know it was about both, but it was a lot to put in a in a movie. Sure,
0: it's stuffed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot going on. No question. I could totally see that. I thought it worked pretty well. I thought it was pretty seamless, but I could totally see that perspective. But yeah, acting-wise, man, there's really no false notes in this movie. It's pretty great no. across the board. And of course, as we've talked about before, that's a credit to the director because the primary job of a director is to work with actors and get great performances out of them. So when you're in a movie like this where everyone's firing on all cylinders, you know there's a great one
1: behind the lens. Yeah, but he, he had some... Uh... Okay, so I'll fire back here. So he made some other movies that, that doesn't occur. <laughs> like, well, what's the Steven Spielberg movie where there's not great acting? Well, let's let's start out right now with Temple of Doom. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Dan's ears just <is> perked up. <laughs> I know, but then let's keep moving. I would say that like not particularly compelling performance would be like Ready Player One. Yeah, yeah, sure. Where you have everything you need. Like and then what was a more recent Spielberg film that I'm thinking of? I'm forgetting. Well, there was the post, I
0: believe, uh, with with Tom Hanks. Uh, that was decent. The
1: post is one we reviewed, wasn't it? Mm-hmm.
0: Yep, we reviewed that.
1: And so it was a few years ago, but like that had all the right. It had everything going for it, all the right actors, but I didn't think anything was particularly moving. Did it have Meryl Streep and stuff in it too? Yeah, it had Meryl Streep. Like, no. <laughs> yeah, it was one of
0: those. It was one of those uh, and we uh, things about Spielberg, right? It's like the and let's get into him. Let's talk about the man for crying out loud. All right, danced all right, we'll around stop it. dancing. We'll stop dancing. But this is so true, is that like, you know, Spielberg had such a compelling career, and then he entered this, this kind of period. I would say Spielberg's last great movie before this one is Munich. That's my personal opinion. I think Munich is a masterpiece. I think it's a great film. That was 2005. And what I would say is from basically 2005 to now, he's sort of been in this... Zone where he's making good things. You can't point it out and say that's a terrible film, but it's not. Something's missing. Like you look at the post, and it's like, oh, all the elements are there, but something's not. I like Lincoln. I thought Lincoln Lincoln was was okay. I personally didn't love it. I yeah. I I know a lot of people love that movie, but I I thought it was a bit of a letdown. But that's been his kind of career trajectory, and. But I mean, look, let's back up. All right, you know how much I love Steven Spielberg. I mean, like... You love the guy. I love the guy. Now, look, if you were to ask me who were my favorite film directors working today, yes, he would not be on the list because of that gap that I just mentioned. But if you were to ask me who's my favorite film director of all time... It's him because the man has given me so much. He literally changed my life and because he opened my eyes to what, to movie magic, to like what is possible in film. I mean, Jaws, E.T., Indiana Jones. I watched this movie so many times as a kid I couldn't even keep track of it. Saw Jurassic Park in the theater, talked about that a million times, saw AI and Minority Report when I was in like high school. Those movies rocked my world. What was your experience with Spielberg growing up I mean, like, do you, did he have a huge impact on you like he did for me or was it, was he not as central to your experience?
1: Yes. I think, yes. Indiana Jones. Like if you were going to ask a kid, like what, like, what is the coolest movie you've ever seen? It's usually Indiana Jones. And I remember those movies coming out. I remember Jurassic Park, but I was at, I was a teenager. But yeah, probably those movies, Jaws, I was too young for. So Jaws came out in the 70s. I don't remember what year. Like you wouldn't show a kid Jaws. No, exactly. Like now people do, but back then you're like this. No, if we show this kid Jaws, he's going to be in therapy for years. Now well, it's like it's eh, pretty, oh, whatever.
0: It's a dark, violent movie. Like I just watched it in the theater again with uh, on the anniversary with my with my oldest. And like I mean, it really is an intense film. Yeah, yeah. PG just, yeah, is not accurate. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's PG. It's
0: PG because it was that whole like it's there's no PG-13. So it's either PG or it's like hard R is like those there's these two extremes. Yeah. huh yeah man his movies are so embedded in my brain like i just showed jurassic park to my youngest for the very first time on his 10th birthday party about like uh well what that would have been november and i'm just like watching this film and it's just like that movie is so a part of me that like it's like it's like a symphony it's like i'm just i know every beat every moment every line every shot it's like it's just kind of like a part of my dna and so that to me is like, that's how so many of his movies are to me. And I think that's really the hidden power of this film for me, because if this was just a movie about some family, some fictional family made by some random director, like it would be good. It would still be good. You have great acting, you have good directing, you have good scenes, but maybe B plus something like that. But the fact, what really did it for me was when I research just like how that this was spielberg's life like this wasn't some like semi autobiographical this was really him and when you get to that final scene at the end where he has that meeting with john ford and he is dancing in the aisles and then you know john ford spends all this time talking about the horizon and then we have that abrupt pan up towards the horizon to me like that was like we're watching this kid dance on the back lot of this studio and then he grows up to be the person that is actually directing this movie that we're watching. It's so meta and that is the hidden power that like retroactively makes everything about this movie work for me.
1: So what do you think about, and I know that some of these scripts are not written by Spielberg, Kasdan and did a bunch. How do you, now that you know his backstory, at least his, his take on his backstory, how does that, like, to me, it, like, helps me understand some of these movies. Mm-hmm. So I look at Jurassic Park, and I'm like, oh, well, there's the cult. There's the scientific, even though we could do this scientifically, should we, right? And then, so he's got this, this balance, like, his dad's, like, a scientist, basically, com- yeah. early computer scientist. He's an engineer. And then he's got the art, which is the mom who's, like, passionate. It's almost like bloom, right? And so you see that, like, he can balance those two things. And he has, like, part of who we are. So, like, okay, on one end, we want to be logical, but there's this other part of us that's like, no, we're irrational, and that's something that's human uh, is this emotional part of our lives, and those things are kind of tugging at each other all the time, like e t even like you E.T. know. You- Close right. encounters. Yeah. Everything is like a mystical experience or, or like AI, right? So it's like we're having this mystical experience of like sci-fi almost.
0: Magic within, but like kind of competing against logic and
1: competing against science and all of that. Yeah. And there tends to be some middle ground, right? So it's, so it's almost like you're, you, he's like that. He is the middle ground in that family, Yeah, which is he's an artist, but he also see that he's technically gifted and he's always like, I want to get the latest machine. He knows all the machines. And those machines enable him to tell the story. To do the art, he, he needs the machine. I mean, that like shows you everything right there. Yeah. And so I don't know. He's, I definitely think he is a late 20th century. He is the filmmaker of the late 20th century. Absolutely. I don't know if he's the filmmaker of the early 21st. No
0: question. Yeah. What did you think about his directing specifically in this movie? What stood out to you there? Were there some moments specifically that was like, wow, yes.
1: I think I always think cinematography, so I don't want to just blame him for it because he's got a cinematographer that's won, I think, the they award twice. Yeah. And been nominated a zillion times. I do like the light and dark play. I like all the like openness and closeness. So even the houses. So like mm-hmm. some houses have a closed feel, some have an open. I like the playful cinematography because like it is like some of it's mocking like filmmaking, mocking his style filmmaking in some ways. (laughs) I like the, yeah, I just feel like all the locations are really great. And then the dark and light. He does a great job of like having someone showing himself as in the shadows all the time. I thought he did a good job.
0: And those super eight home movies were so good, right? Like just the way that they were cut together, like that scene, I like that scene with her dancing and uh, Seth Rogen's like, Oh, or it's too dark. And then he puts the headlights on and, and just, yeah, all of that. And even like that senior ditch day, scene was really good for me cuz like uh Sammy is commissioned to shoot the footage of the senior ditch day and there's this high school bully that like relentlessly bullies him and he makes him the star of this movie and i thought that scene was so powerful because like you know here's this guy who we know is a total like douche and then all of a sudden he's like this golden god on the screen and it shows you the power that move of what movies can do in that moment.
1: And even he, the kid, the character, can't believe it. Don't you love the meta where he's like, You just got to promise never to make a film about this. And then he did. <laughs> right, and then he did. <laughs> he's
0: literally making the movie that we're watching. That's so funny. I didn't even pick up on that. That's brilliant.
1: Uh, so, but like he shows the truth about the guy to us. And then he also showed, you know, so we know. But how you know we don't know how true is it. But I think the idea of like uh, the camera becomes a, and that's from the very beginning to the very end. It's the camera becomes a way of creating a small world to protect himself. Yeah. I like that because I think we tend to think of these filmmakers as being some kind of like Nietzschean overpowering exerting of will bec- is the way that they get what they get. But like what we're seeing in Spielberg, and I don't know if this is just extensive counseling that led him to see this. But dude is like, no, I do films to cope with my own personal anxiety because I think there's gonna be a freaking train wreck all around me at any time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's really what the first scene is, is like there's this train wreck and I saw it on a film and it's torturing me. And so I'm gonna recreate a train wreck so I feel a sense of control. Wow. Whoa. Oh. I mean that's it, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so out of that weakness and that fear and anxiety, he creates art. And I think that is the that must be the process right there, which mm-hmm. is that, and I and I feel that sometimes with like you know certain things that I do like would be writing and like even fly tying. I know it sounds weird because that's a that's a tiny little world, right? And that I begin to go, well, if I can do this really well, or the editing room becomes it's not the filming, it's the editing that becomes the place of like the the that's the temple right there.
0: Yeah, no, me too. That's how I feel when I edit this podcast. It's just huh. like, it's my, my world. Like I have control over it. I have control over the narrative and like, there's just, it's beautiful. Like, and then I get to present that to the world. It's like my one uh-huh. contribution. Like it's,
1: yeah, totally. So that we take our anxiety and, and out of that would flow the art. So I think there has to be something like that has got to connect to spirituality, right? Cause we're, we're cinema faith. That's got to. I mean, I I feel like that we would have anxiety or suffering or difficulty or life, and then we try to, and that God has given us this ability to like put that into something that would be creative. Yes. I think that's cool. Very cool. And of course, we
0: can't mention Spielberg without mentioning John Williams, who did another score, another fantastic score. This dude, man, holy cow. This guy has done basically Mm -hmm. like some of the most legendary scores in movie history, Jaws, Indiana Jones, all these, all these... These, the music that we just like anyone, no matter how old you are, would instantly recognize. And yeah. he's done it. And, you know, speaking of Jaws, there's that famous uh, story of Spielberg meeting with John Williams, and Williams is ready to present his score idea for Jaws, and he just plays two notes on the piano. Dun, 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 I've dun, never heard that dun, story. Dun. Yeah. And Spielberg is like, okay, that's funny. Now, where's the actual thing? And he's like, no, that's it. And it was it. No. <laughs> yeah. I love it. But the guy's a genius. And he comes through in this one again. I mean, like, you know, it's just he has this very, like, haunting score in this movie that adds another layer like he always does. Love John Williams. What do you think of his of him in here? What What did you think of the score? Did it stand on I mean, to you
1: It's like just standard, right? It's basic, mm-hmm. good John. What am I going to say about that guy? Yeah. Like, I, I don't have any room to critique his stuff. He's just so good. I, I just am always impressed with him. So I, I what can I say? What can I say that hasn't already been said? I mean the same way, but they do have a formula that's working. Yep, every time it works.
0: Yeah, good job, John Williams, as always. All right, time for themes. So we've already touched on quite a few, as we usually do. Were there any other themes that stood out to you, principally? Uh,
1: I think that like the idea that stood out to me was like the price of art, which we've talked about before. With I think like Whiplash and yep. The idea that art, there would be a personal toll if you follow your artistic, if you follow to the the end of your artistic ability, there will be a toll on your life and on your relationships. Yeah, that's Judd Hirsch's
0: speech, and it's true.
1: Yeah, you know, and I think that's a theme, and I think you can't have everything. And then also, like, there's a dissatisfaction I think that leads to art, and there's something, there's a certain destructiveness I think that creates. The, that like kind of creates the ground that you need for this. Mm-hmm. So like he's going through this like pain and the way he's coping is by making movies. Yep. And he does that in multiple situations. So where he has anxiety, he'll film it. He gets behind the camera. Then he goes into the editing room all by himself and he makes, he may, he re, and I think we all do this, right? We tell ourselves stories and then he reconstructs the events in a way that works for him. And I think we all do that, right? We all like go, Oh, I'm dealing with whatever this is. So I'm going to go into the dark and I'm going to make this work for me. I mean, psychologists even say we do that because we have to be sane. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I, I forgot what they call it, but the term is like, we have to make narrative. So when there's gaps, we create narrative. Yeah. We're just story driven. Oh yeah. We're story driven people. And so I see that that's what he's doing with a film is he's taking, he takes that anxiety and then he creates narratives out of it. So even if it is a golden God narrative for this kid who is bullying him. Yeah. Which is, that's not true, right? That he's a golden God and probably not true that that kid is a horrible kid all around. Yeah. I mean, maybe he was, I don't know. He, he was pretty horrible in the movie. But it's never cut
0: and dry like that. That's the point. Right. It's always more complicated than that.
1: But he creates the narrative to make himself, you know, to create cognitive assonance or whatever, whatever you, whenever things are going well. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just think that that's interesting. And you know something that on a related note when it comes to art that we've talked
0: about before is how art can often be devalued in certain circles, right? I mean we see this in the movie with Sammy's dad who's a scientist, right? And he believes in the practical things. He says he should, he should uh, create things that are useful like a driver's license, <laughs> It's such a, such a nerdy dad thing to say. Uh, but no, I, I appreciate that. But yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> but I think that's a that, that's a prominent critique that's this, this leveled at art, that it's like merely a diversion. It's merely a hobby, as Sammy's dad always says. It's mm-hmm. something that like kind of weird. You're supposed to veg out on, but it's not like your life. But I, I think that can be further from the truth. And for those of us who love and appreciate art, we see its true power and we see what it's capable of. I have a friend. I want to give a shout out to a friend of mine named Jason Thompson. He has written some articles for the website. We actually did uh, one podcast together when you were unavailable. I forget when. This was uh, Hell or High Water was the name of that podcast. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure. I remember that. You can go on cinemafate.com, You can look it up. You can hear about him. But anyway he had we were texting about this movie back and forth and he had a lot of really cool things to say but one quote that stood out to me that he said was a filmmaker is a medium between the invisible things and the audience which i think is so profound and so right on right like it's just like true artists when when you're locked in whether that's in music movies tv like you're harnessing the invisible things and you're putting them on display, and then you are reaching the invisible things inside of us, the soul-level things, you know? And and you feel that when you listen to a great album, and you feel that when you watch a great movie. And I've said this before, I'll say it again, Like I never feel more closer to God than when I watch like a great, like a truly great movie. Like I'll Hmm. come out of a theater just floating, just like praying. Like I, more than church, more than even, and that's sacrilegious to some people, but like, it's just true. And I, that's the power of art for me. And like, cause I think that art has the power to tap into those like God parts of us, those invisible parts of Hmm. us. And even in religious circles, especially in religious circles, maybe art has been downgraded to this sort of worldly pursuit. And I feel like it—it it, it really is a spiritual connector, and that Spielberg has been like a medium of those invisible things for us. So I think that's a really—that's a cool theme.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's true. And I always think about like the artist is saying the thing. It, it, what is it? I forgot the quote, but who said it? But like the, the they say the things. I think it's about writing. Saying the things that we thought, but we never unable to express, but we've always believed. I like that. I see that like with good writing, good cinemas, like they're somehow able to demonstrate the things that we've always wanted to say and always believe, but weren't able to express. Yeah. And then we see them and they're like so true that we like, yeah, it feels like we're they're part of us. Mm-hmm. So I think it kind of connects with what you're talking about with Thompson's quote. It's beautiful. Yeah
0: and be on a related note because art is so powerful it can also be manipulated to kind of distort the truth right like propaganda I, yeah like that scene where sammy makes the the school bully the hero that is not true but he puts that on screen and it like you can see it in real time like just going straight into the souls of everyone in that room and i feel like yeah so there is a uh could be a harmful side to to art as well like I'm sure there's a billion examples, but like one that comes to my mind is like how I grew up believing like body types, right? Presented in film. Mm -hmm. Like they're just presenting like this is normal, right? And you grow up as a boy. I grew up believing that like this is what a perfect woman's body is supposed (laughs) to look like, right? Which completely is ridiculous and Western and absurd and cultural. And yet women now are trying to conform to this ridiculous, unrealistic image of a body. Sure. Even men, like I, every lead, even to this day in a movie, male lead has like, you know, washboard abs and you like look in the mirror and you feel like crap because like they're presenting that as like this is normal so that's just one example but like there's a billion examples of like how art actually because it can bypass kind of your reasoning your 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 you know just go straight kind of like straight download to your soul uh can actually
1: make you believe things and have values that you didn't even know were there yeah. it's like parables that way too, right? Mm. It's like thinking about scriptures, like sometimes you get it. If you want to, you tell the story and it'll get to the heart of the matter rather than being just a logical presentation of the facts. Yeah.
0: Like people are always like, Jesus, why didn't you just explain the whole thing? And it's like, because he understood the power of that.
1: Yeah. I also loved, I guess I'm reinterpreting. I think I'm reassessing my first take on this secondary story in here with the anti-Semite kids. Mm-hmm. He makes him into the Ubermensch. He makes Ooh. him into the Hitler youth yeah he creates the thing that no real person could attain and it is the ideal Aryan that hitler would talk about
0: yeah that slow motion running right like just it's the perfect body
1: yeah he exactly. creates this like nietzschean uber Aryan Ubermanch, mm-hmm. that golden god of the sun you know what <laughs> I, I mean with blue it. eyes and blonde hair and he makes he basically creates in his cinema he creates the ideal Nazi out of that kid. Yeah. He said, I'm not that guy. He's like, I know. He's like, he's like I just run really fast. Like that's, I mean, that's who he is, right? Yeah. yeah. So he gives him what he wants. I am this Jew. You know, I am this thing... And you're the ideal Nazi. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And it has such and a, he, wow. That's <laughs> pretty
0: a, cool. You can see the effect that it has on that kid. Like, like uh-huh. it's, I don't know if Spielberg did that to, you know, actually affect him or out of some form of like, to, to make truth known to him. But like, you could see the effect that it does have on him when they're in that school locker hallway. And like, it's almost like he realizes that that image that I've been trying to present of myself is false. It's not based in reality and it haunts him. It's beautiful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's good. I love it. But yeah, I I do think this is one of the best efforts he's had in a long time. Long time. All right.
0: Well, I want to give one more shout out to my friend Jason. He pointed out like the ending of this movie and how beautiful, like how it kind of all comes together because you start out with like this kid who's like apprehensive to go into a theater, right? For the first time. And then by the end of the movie... He meets this famous director, and then he's dancing in the back alley of a studio, right? He's like crossed over, right, into the inside, right? Like uh, Jason uh, in the text put it, on the other side of the veil. And when Spielberg pans up to that horizon, we're reminded, of course, that this kid dancing is going to grow up to make all these movies that changed our lives and make this movie. And he also pointed out that what I think is great about Spielberg, which I agree with, is that he brings out the child in us. And the innocence in us. You know, when I watched Jurassic Park, I'm 10 years old again. Same with E.T., same with all these other movies. And children figure so prominently in Spielberg's movies. And that that sense of innocence and magic and, like, purity, you know, of a child's heart. And I think it's just so fitting that this movie that's, like, his life, his memoir would end with, you know, this 15-year-old. Dancing in the alley. Because you could be like, well, why doesn't it end with like him on the set of Indiana Jones and we finally see what he becomes, but like he doesn't have to because
1: We don't need that. Yeah. We don't need
0: it. Yeah. The the pan up to the horizon is the missing link in the end of the journey. And he ends on this kid like so many other Bealbert movies.
1: But don't you love that, that that first scene is the scene, man? <laughs> it's his dad explaining how they work and his mom helping him have the courage to do it. Ooh. To go in. And so it's like his dad gave him that technical thing, and then his mom gave him the courage to go. Yeah, and then she also gives him the courage to deal with the anxiety after he sees what he sees. Mm-hmm. But who gives him the train set? Dad. I mean, who it's ha- like who a total mom, right? Mom.
0: It's, it's, it's yeah. It's he is absorbed these two things, and that he, like his. We see this movie proves that his parents made him the great director he was because he needs both of those things. He needs both of them in order to be who
1: he is. Right. Beautiful. Right. And he gives him credit and he also gives him blame. So I think that's kind of, you know, obviously, and it's not going to be real, but it will be true. Hmm. All right, Tim, what are your final thoughts on the Fablemans and your letter grade? I think I give it an A minus because I think it is an excellent film. It has all the, the acting is superb. Cinematography, is superb. The story I struggle a little with the story pacing, but that's okay. Score is superb. Everything's really excellent about it. I like the storyline. I like the complexity of the characters, which I feel like he was able to write alongside, I forgot his writing partners. Tony Kushner. Yeah, Kushner. Uh, he was able to uh, write the complexity of those characters because he had direct experience of that. And so it's good. I really like it. I don't think it's Roma because I think that's another director's story. <laughs> yeah. I think that's better. Yeah, sure. But I think this, this is good. Well, good.
0: Here's the thing about this one for me. Sometimes movies grab me right away, and I walk out like floating, like, and like oh, yeah, it's a perfect movie. Banshees of here, And I was like, yep, that was pretty much a perfect movie. This one was a grower. Sometimes movies take a little bit, they got to percolate in my yeah. brain a little bit. I initially came out of the theater and was like, eh. Like somewhere around a B plus, maybe an A minus, because like, you know, it's like, okay, so there's this family and there's this kid, and it's like blah, blah, blah. when it all clicked was when I realized, like I said, how this was Spielberg's actual life. And then you put that into the end of it. And suddenly it just everything worked for me. Like I just cannot stop thinking about that last shot. And so I love
1: this movie. I think it is like, you couldn't ask for a better, but like, you want him
0: to tribute.
1: Don't you want him to take that hero's journey? That's what you're like. That's why you like that in scene, right? Yeah. <laughs> you you like, you're like, Oh, it's all going to be okay now. Cause you're going to go make the movies. I love that. Right? I
0: love that are a part of me. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I, yeah, I thought this, this movie was excellent. And so I went from being, you know, moderately lukewarm about it to I'm giving it a straight a, it's my second a of the year. I can't find a fault with it, man. The more I think about it, the more I love it. I think it's beautiful. It's powerful. It's moving. And, you know, it could be because I'm biased, because I love him so much. But I, I just couldn't ask for a better, for better tribute to Spielberg. And uh, I think I'll be watching this quite a few times when I think about him. So it's a great movie. There you go. Grade A for me, A- minus for Tim, and there you have it. The movie is The Fablemans. It is still playing in a theater near you, and it probably will be for quite a while because Golden Globe nominations came in, Oscar nominations are going to roll in in January. It's going to be playing in theaters for a couple months, or take the Tim route if you must. Pay the $25. It is worth it, in my opinion. You will watch this movie more than once, especially if you are a fan of Spielberg and his life and his work. Now, if you have any thoughts on what we discussed today, please let us know. The email address, as always, is podcast at cinemafaith.com, podcast at cinemafaith.com. Let us know if you think, you know, I'm wrong, Tim's wrong, the whole podcast is wrong. We love it. Well, we want to hear your thoughts. If I'm a twerp, tell me. Oh, wait. Someone I don't think did. you're
1: a twerp, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you're it's a lot good. of things, Sean, but you're no twerp. <laughs> oh, that's so nice, Tim. Thank you're you. You're a grown
0: man. <laughs> <laughs> And let us know while you're at it what you think is the most overrated Christmas movie. We'd love to read some of that on the air next time, and maybe which ones are your favorite too. That'd be great. And Tim, next month, for once, I already have a movie picked out for us. I already told you, we are going to watch Babylon. That's what we're doing. I'm putting a stake in the ground. We're watching. It is Damien Chazelle, man. Whiplash, La La Land. He's back, baby. Baby. He's back, and we're going to watch it three hours and nine minutes A of three Damien hour Chazelle. <laughs> three-hour
1: tour with Damien.
0: Damien. Reviews have been all over the place. Some of the screens have been polarizing. People hate it. People love it. I don't care. I'm watching it. It's Damien Chazelle. So that's, that's next month. Get prepared, people. Get prepared. Are you up for it, Tim? I should ask
1: you before we... Just decide this. It's a long time, but yes, I will. <laughs> All right. I'm up for it. I like Chazelle. I, lo- I love Chazelle so much. Oh,
0: I just watched Whiplash the other day again. It's like, could not be a more perfect film? Couldn't it's be. Pain- painfully perfect. Yes. So great. Anyway, until then, keep the faith, my friends, and we will catch you next time.